gratefulness through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Three people here that have something to do with Thanksgiving on the screen. Do you know who they are? Can you name two of them? Ha <laughs> ha. Maybe one of them, right? The guy in the middle is Lou Ravenberg. I always told Lou that he looked like Abe Lincoln. He's tall and thin and austere. Nope, that's Abe Lincoln there. These are the three people that had to do with the first federal proclamation that we would have a national holiday that would be re reoccurring. Actually, George Washington, about 74 years earlier to the day, had declared a national holiday for Thanksgiving, but it was a single time. That was 160 years after, 69 years after the 1620 Plymouth group, the Puritans and their first Thanksgiving. So there was a lot more, there was, as, there was a little more time between George Washington and the Pilgrims than there is between George Washington and us. In other words, what I'm trying to say is this idea of having a national holiday is rather recent with these three folks. Really, the ramrod is the gal on the left. Her name is Sarah Josepha Hale. She was, a, in, in a time when women did not get the privilege to be educated as much as men, she was a very well-educated woman. She was taught by her brother and her mother and she then was self-taught. She became a school teacher and then later a very famous in New England editor of a women's magazine and a philanthropist and someone who pushed, she was kind of the Martha Stewart of her day, and she pushed for people to grow in their character, their virtue, and their building of their, their family and their community. And she, for 20 years that we know of, wrote letters and petitioned governors, senators, and presidents of the United States to declare that there would be a national holiday called Thanksgiving. There were some states and some counties doing it already, but there wasn't a federal holiday, and she pushed and pushed and pushed. And why did she pick Thursday? She even picked the day of the week that it would be. Well, it, her thought was it would be a day where Christians would gather together, even though she didn't want it to be called a Christian holiday. Our government with separation of church and state wouldn't allow that. But that's when most ministers had their midweek service, it was on Thursday. And here we are making sure we get to our turkey tomorrow and have it on Wednesday night, have our service. But it was for Thursday that, that she pushed for that. George Washington, when he had declared it, was the last Thursday of November. So she thought that was good enough for him. I'll petition that it would be that when I talked to President Lincoln. And President Lincoln liked the idea. We were in 1863 in the very middle of the, the five or six years of the Civil War. And, it w and, and she was big on love and fairness and thanksgiving on both sides of the war and trying to use her pen to unite the country. And of course, President Lincoln, who loved uniting the country, was all about that. And so it would serve his interests, I don't mean ambitions, but his interests as a president to declare thanksgiving. And so the stage was set. So what's the fella on the far right? 
William H. Seward. You've heard in history of Seward's folly. He uh, helped purchase Alaska for $7 million while he was Secretary of the State for Lincoln. They started out political rivals, even enemies. Lincoln had a way, after he got elected, of putting people in his cabinet that were uh, even on the other side of the political fence from the other party. And William H. Seward was on the other side of the fence. So Bodie doesn't like what I'm saying. So, so Seward and Lincoln started off with him as Secretary of State, not really great friends, but they learned to trust and love each other and they, would, they, they almost had a daily meeting sometimes just to be friends. And Seward was a very, very good writer and had, I had to, when I looked up his writing of the proclamation today, I had to look up three or four words. He had a great vocabulary and uh, he wrote the proclamation that Lincoln declared on the first, first year that he declared it. And another little trivia is that it had to be redeclared every year by whomever was president until Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And he wanted to, to boost the economy, so he decided that, that Thanksgiving, when he was president for a couple of years there, would be a week earlier which threw everybody off. So some people celebrated it that week earlier, and what Roosevelt's idea was there'd be more shopping. You thought that was a recent thing? There'd be more shopping between, in between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so some people celebrated it the week early, like he said, but others did not, because they weren't gonna do that for any president. And then some had two Thanksgivings that, and that happened two years in a row and Congress said enough's enough. We're making this a recurring federal holiday and the president and the executive branch won't have a say in it. Isn't that interesting? And here we are, our government legislating Thanksgiving and we're saying you didn't have to because we already have a thankful heart and we like to get together and say thanks because that's the nature of faith. The nature of faith is one good turn deserves another. Where did that come from? Well, it wasn't from any of these three guys. In the 1400s, it first appeared in print. One good turn deserves another. And I'm using that tonight to say one good turn deserves two others. And if you look into the scripture with me that we're going to meditate on, I'll show you two others that God's good turn of being a gracious, giving God to us, what it it turns in us some two good things. One is worship that has thanksgiving involved. In fact, thanksgiving and worship really are wrapped into each other all the time. Not that they're the same, but they're, they're never separated, worship and praise. And then also a joyful life. So the ideas that this woman, Sarah Hale, wanted to be imbibed in America and it would be, have it legislated. These ideas are found in this little Bible story that I'm gonna share with you on Thanksgiving Eve from the book of Acts, chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas are in their first missionary journey in, in Turkey. John Mark has left them and gone back to Jerusalem. They have gone to several cities like Antioch, 
and Iconium, and they've, they're making a circle back down south into Turkey, and they're coming to Lystra. And when they come into Lystra, they start preaching that Jesus Christ, down in Jerusalem, hundreds of miles away, has died for the sins of the whole world, including the Gentiles. In all of these little towns, there are Jews, and there are Gentiles. And they, Paul always started with the Jews and ended with the Gentiles, right? And he's, he's, he's speaking in an open place. And there is a, a man who's been crippled his entire life since he was born. And Paul healed him in the name of Jesus. And the place went wild. This guy that had almost no legs at all in a way, right? The muscles were all atrophied for life is a miraculously runs into town and says, look, I was healed by these two men. And the culture is thoroughly Greek paganism. And there's a priest with a temple and sacrifices to Zeus with other gods in the picture like Hermes and other gods and goddesses. And the priest gathers the people. He says, where are these two guys? And they run out with all the people and they have a couple of bull calves they're gonna sacrifice and wreaths to put over their neck and they're gonna hold them up. And the priest said, the one that talks a lot is Hermes and the other one is Zeus. Now, for a moment, maybe Paul and Barnabas in their sinful nature thought, this is pretty cool, right? You can get a lot done if they think you're Zeus and Hermes. And it feels good, too. But no, you do not rob God of his glory. You do not, a mere human, take that credit upon yourself. We are not gods. Paul did not heal that man on his own strength, not one bit. In fact, he couldn't even heal people unless God, at that particular moment, let him. He couldn't just do it at will. And it was the power of Jesus that went through them. And this was Paul's opportunity to lead them to the Christ. But it was hard because they so much wanted to think that they were their own gods come down to earth that they had been visited by, that they'd long hoped something like this would happen, and they wanted this to be the fulfillment of their own dreams of religion and faith. And so it was hard for Paul and Barnabas. But when you hear Paul and Barnabas talking to them now in the story, and I'm just gonna give you that little conversation that's very intense. I want you to listen for the two good turns that God's goodness deserves from people, okay? You ready? But when the apostles, Paul, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, that they were wanting to make them, you know, sacrifice to them as Zeus and Hermes, they, like Jews, with grief, tore their clothes in front of the people. And they rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We are only human like you. We are bringing you good news. In the original, it's, you'll recognize it because it's in the name of our church and lots of churches. We are giving you the evangelism, the gospel, the evangel. We are giving you the gospel, the good news. We're telling you to turn from these worthless gods, these things, and go to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, because we're here to tell you about it, and you haven't had anybody here to tell you about it. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. 
Yeah, it's been a, a century since anybody's done this to you, for you. Yet he has not left himself without a testimony that he is God. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. He's given you a testimony of his kindness and you're sacrificing a sacrifice of praise to the wrong God but you are sacrificing a sacrifice of praise. See, he didn't upbraid them for that. And he fills your life with joy. Do you see? You are naturally praising the ones that you believe brought the healing, but you got the wrong God, and we're here to tell you, use that platform to tell you about the true God. On Thanksgiving Eve, I'm gonna stop right there and say, do you notice the first good turn that God's goodness brings in a person who understands that the goodness they have in their life is from God. It is thankfulness. Thankfulness is not happiness. Happiness in the way, in the context of receiving, is being really thrilled that you got what you needed or wanted. Remember the 10 lepers? Lives were terminal, they came to Jesus and wanted healing, and they were all happy that when he spoke the word, go show yourself to the priest, that they went on their way, that they were all healed. But only one was thankful, but they were all happy. At Christmas time, almost everybody gets happy, but not everybody gets thankful. At Thanksgiving, we talk about Thanksgiving specifically and what it is, and that's what we're talking about tonight. So one leper comes running back to Jesus, and Jesus said there were 10 that were healed. Did only one come back to thank and praise God? And this is what he said to the guy. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. What about the other guys? Well, they weren't made well the way this guy was. This guy trusted that Jesus was the good God, giving him the good gift of healing miraculously and changing his whole life. And so he returned to say thanks, because thanks is a normal outcrop of what has made you well? Faith. See, faith is believing in a person. Faith is believing in a person. And if you believe in a person, no God who gives healing from leprosy or food for the table or a country that protects you, that believing in that personal God makes you thankful to him. And the preacher doesn't have to stand in front on Thanksgiving Eve or, and say, you have to be thankful, nor does a woman have to get a president to make a proclamation that we all better be thankful because you already are thankful to God. But you like the opportunity, and you rejoice that other people are made to think about it, and you're ready to think about it too, because you, you do all the time. Or do you? <laughs> Does it sometimes happen that you're not as thankful as you should be because you're a sinner who has a weak faith, and you're not thinking that God is a personal God that takes care of you and you doubt, in fact, you doubt so much you don't even pray to him to ask him for the help. Not 
the same way that Mary talked to Jesus at the wedding at Canaan, said they have no more wine, knowing he would just do whatever was right. Instead, maybe your prayers are twisting his arm and begging and wishing and wondering, is he really there or is he really a good God? See, what creates the faith? Paul said there's a testimony. What was the testimony that he said for them? This is a hard one for 20th century Westerners, 21st century, excuse me. This is a hard one. Look with me again at what he said. Look down, verse uh, 17. He's not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. When's the last time you were excited about the rain because you knew you'd eat better? There's a few of you. But we, we just go to the store and buy it. And it comes from the places where somebody had rain enough or irrigation enough to grow it. And you can, they're not always flavorful, but you can get peaches year round. We're not affected by seasons. We haven't learned to wait. We can't even wait in line at the store without getting grouchy because our expectations are so high, right? And we grouse about which store has the best or worst produce, right? Uh, we're, we're different. We're in a different place. But these people in an old, ancient, agrarian society, they knew what it was to depend on God, whoever he was, to give rain so they could have crops, so they could eat. And they knew what it was like to go begging. And many times they'd have to get up and leave where they lived and go be where the food was, just like in Joseph's day, the Old Testament Joseph. And so Paul says that God's given you testimony that he's a good and loving God because he keeps taking care of you. And they lived in the elements and the way that God, God blesses through the elements, they were familiar with it. And Paul said that was a testimony. So what's the testimony that the preacher should say on Christmas Eve in 2017 in America? Do you ever watch world news? Do you realize how protected and blessed that we are that he has made us, not we ourselves, and put us on this side of the planet in this country and decided we would be in America where they protect us and bless us and support us, our government. I was just talking to somebody a couple days ago who lives in Mexico, and I said something about, well, the police stopped them and what happened and said, well, they asked for a bribe and confiscated a car and said it'll cost you 10,000 pesos to get it back. Have you had a police officer stop you for a ticket and take your car away? See what I'm saying? And that's just a little picture of what, it, what God has done to give a testimony that we are blessed by him. But it's not enough to be happy, is it? Because happiness isn't the outcrop of faith. It's to be thankful, and that comes from believing there's a person behind it. So... God chose from eternity to give you the gift of all the blessings that you experience 
as a citizen of your family, as a member of the United States of America, and your country, even with all of the rise of atheism, still says, we're going to give you off from work, and we want you to express thanksgiving. And we won't interfere with your worship, and we'll let you proclaim your message. Yeah, but God, God has also given me plenty of trouble with it. But we haven't got to the good news yet. We're just kind of telling the little good news. What's the good news? What if you had an angel visit you in your home tonight, and an angel said, you're going to die in one hour, but it's not going to be painful. There is a heaven and there is a hell, but in one hour you're going to stand before God, and your life, he knows every thought, word, and deed is going to pass before the judgment seat of Christ. Well, the sinner inside of you is going to tremble. But the believer inside of you that heard that it was the judgment seat of Christ is going to smile. Because you have one hope, and it's a big one. Christ already was judged for me. I believe in a person. I believe I'm going to receive the grace that I've heard about my whole life. I've believed it without seeing it, but now I'm going to see it. I'm going to see his face, and he's going to say, all of those sins are washed away. We don't even have to enumerate them. Come, blessed of my Father, and I'm going to be thankful. When we live our whole life in light of that good news which Paul labored to bring to those people that we have had so clearly taught to us, we are joyful. Not perfectly joyful, else we would be in heaven, but we are joyful. It is a sin to be grouchy. And I'm preaching to myself. It's a sin. And that's what Paul was saying when he said, when he gives you this rain and provides you with plenty of food, he fills your hearts with joy. This thankfulness that you're expressing to me, this joy that you have in your life, it's the outcome of believing that there's a good God behind it that's given his testimony. And it's a life of joy. There's not a grandma or a parent that hasn't snickered a little bit when they watch a three-year-old open those Christmas presents on Christmas morning or evening, you know, eat the Christmas Eve, and they just rage through. The adrenaline rush of opening each present is overwhelming. It's just like they're going from one high to the next, right? Open it, move it aside, open it, move it aside, open it, move it aside. And then we get to the end, you can watch a really young kid who hasn't yet figured out how to filter their wrong attitude just go, there's no more? And you snicker a little bit because you think, oh, I see that. I'm glad they have a Savior. That's what I used to say to them. I'd say, you're lucky you have a, a Savior. <laughs> because they don't realize at the moment that their happiness isn't true joy filled with thankfulness. And so it kind of betrays them at the end. And then they got to start figuring all of that out. And you snicker. 
It's really not a laughing matter, though, when we know better at age 54. And we can't find joy. And then for a pastor to go to the bedside of someone who's facing the deterioration of their body and the, the difficulty, and they have a joy that he hasn't had all day, driving around healthy, that confronts you, doesn't it? And it's not bad to be confronted about our lack of joy. That's a good thing, because what God is doing is leading us to see again that by faith, we have a choice. You didn't have a choice to believe, but once God brought you to faith, you have a choice to be joyful. You can look at your life on any given second and be joyful. If you are not happy, remember happy and thankfulness are not the same, you've chosen not to be happy. The Apostle Paul that was in this story, he was in jail after four years in change and shipwreck and all kinds of trouble under the threat of death, and he told the Philippians, whatever is lovely, noble, or of good report, choose to meditate on those things. Because <laughs> he knew the secret is that a Christian now, with the, with the good news and the testimony of God's goodness in their life, they can choose to be happy. There is kind of an iconic little story about a, a, someone in England who was a persecuted Christian that was thrown into the, the jail and given just gruel and a little piece of bread and a little cup of water once a day. And they would go to the door of his cell and open the window and slide it in. And, and, and the, the legendary response that has made it into print after all these years is that this Christian man would see it come through the window and he would say, all this and Jesus too. <laughs> Choosing to be joyful. Show that next picture there on the... Take your bad attitude and throw it out. Take it to the curb. Do it tonight so tomorrow is especially wonderful as you celebrate Thanksgiving. Because God is a good God. He's taken very good care of you. And he has saved your soul. Amen.